Okay, so imagine this. What's the last thing that will cross your mind before you die? The last thing you're gonna think of. Will it be your spouse, your kids, your ordination? Obviously not in that order. <laughs> Things you wish you had done, but never set aside time to do? What will be going through your mind and where will you be going? Well, you may be going wherever the music takes you and this sounds like a bit of a poetic platitude, but it's more real than not, and it's observed. The study recently published in the Journal for Prevention of Alzheimer's found that music is stored in a part of the brain that is not affected by Alzheimer's. So even if that's you, and you have Alzheimer's, and you're near the end of your life, and you're forgetting the faces of your own spouse and your kids, it's possible that that exceptional song that you sang during Mass your whole life could, at the end, be the very thing that helps you remember helps you unforget and brings you back to the table. It's as if God wants us to remember. And even though our bodies and our minds crumble and fail, music is this gift, this vessel that can transport us back to the place and time where Jesus calls us to himself and to newness of life. Today's episode covers a lot of ground. We cover the power and effect of beautiful music, the historical development and our ideas of music, especially music and liturgy. And we have a section on music and memory as well. That's super interesting, and I hope you guys like it. Oh, and Chris, don't forget to introduce us. Oh, okay, so I'm going to do We always forget to, like, introduce ourselves. So there we are... introduce the guest, and then... Yeah, us. yeah, so paint a little picture... It's uh, in the evening. We're sitting at a round table, and we each have a little, little bit of bourbon in our <laughs> cup. Um, uh, I'm Chris Duffel. My co-host, Rafael Morales. Say hi to the, the good folks. Hello. And with us, we have Samuel Sentmanot. And the three of us are going to talk about the power of music. Um, so um, Rafael and I are architects by um, profession. It's what we do every day. And you are a professional musician. Um, can you give us a, a brief rundown of um, your your work, what you're studying, um, what it, like what's your project basically as a musician right now? Certainly, certainly. Uh, so being in Houston uh, affords a wonderful opportunity to function as a musician as long as you're willing to do wear multiple hats and do many things. Mm -hmm. So uh, I work over at Holy Rosary Catholic Church on the weekends. We have a small youth choir there, and I'm a member of the uh, of the main choir that provides the music for those services. Throughout the week, I'm a teacher, uh, primarily with string instruments, violin, viola, and cello. We have I have a my own program, which goes under the name of Musica Humana, mm -hmm. and that is a pedagogical program that has been especially designed uh, for the approach to violin, viola, and cello and its study. But in a broader scope, very much touches on a lot of what we're probably going to be talking about today and getting really into the essence of uh, music, why it moves you and what that might reveal. Um, and definitely something that speaks to the Catholic world. And uh, though we try very hard to, to always be very grounded um, and which is in that way to be more Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Would you call your, do you talk about your program? Like it's a Catholic music program or is it music that's informed by a Catholic sort of metaphysic and worldview? We, we don't, I probably don't even say that uh, unless I'm speaking to Catholics. Mm, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, we don't claim to be a Catholic program per se, yeah. though, though to be quite frank, in as much as we understand Catholic to be universal. Mm. So, 
throughout history, there have been um, major inflection points that have changed uh, politics and culture and society. Um, and you have mentioned before that there are um, creative parallels to these, you know, more broader political, cultural, societal uh, changes. Um, can you talk a little bit about ways in which the creative act has corresponded with either caused and been the leading agent of or responded to um, these moments in history and just a little bit about how creatives sort of respond to and reflect to um, the world. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly. In my question. I'll do my best. Yeah. So, and we're speaking primarily, if you don't mind my asking, in the area of of art. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had talked before about... um, uh, I don't remember the details from what we talked about at lunch, but yes, creative <laughs> efforts. Yeah, well, we were talking about the um, that there was a marked shift. Yes, um, you know, basically from the music of antiquity. Yes, to the music that springs up during the Middle Ages. Absolutely. So, um, yes, getting into that, I'd like to quote and and draw attention to one of the last, in my opinion, one of the last great intellectuals of the twentieth century and that would be dr kenneth clark who has a series that you can find on youtube uh, that was actually published by the bbc in 1968 i believe and then was aired on pbs in 1960 no it was 1964 1968 um it's really incredible i highly recommend anyone look it up Uh, you can actually find the whole thing on youtube or elsewhere and in it he premises a 13 show period in which he's discussing the idea of civilization and in his opening, his very first episode, he says, if I were to read the works of a great, uh, a great ruler or of a great duke, and I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. yeah. But if I were to no, read those works. you must works, get it right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no. no, I can't get it. His, his English was flawless. But he says, if I were to read those works and to read the ideas that he were to posit during his reign, and I were to also at the same time see the buildings specifically says buildings that were made in his time i would believe the buildings and that's his premise for an entire discussion of western civilization from ancient time all the way through the modern age and it's Mm. really fascinating and he goes throughout this whole series looking at art and very much in line with what i believe you two gentlemen are doing which i find fascinating and, and amazing is this constant interwoven discussion delightful discussion between music, the visual arts, and architecture, which are so intimately connected. And so when you describe this movement throughout history that seems to be paralleled uh, in music and sound as well as in architecture and the visual arts, we can, we, when we say the Baroque, we're describing an era that you can see, for example, in architecture, in the visual arts, in the musical arts, so very definitively, it's not subtle, especially the Baroque, of course. Mm-hmm. But... These eras are the product of a very specific event that occurred, oh, in the sixth century BC, with uh, as far as that we as far as we're aware of, right? And this would be particularly with a man named Pythagoras, who, upon discovering the 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 fact that sound as a raw material exists in proportion. And I'm using heavy words that sound really boring, and I don't blame anyone who finds this boring. Mm. But what that means is that in the raw material of sound, which is the thing that we use to make music, you, in fact, find harmonic frequencies and tones 
by which harmony is then generated. And he discovered not only that these things were generated so naturally, but that in fact we could speak of them mathematically. That's another big scary word. And when he discovered this, this meant that because I'm dealing in this case with sounds and beauty that speak to my inner core, that speak to my heart, and I recognize them, it is indicative of the fact that there is a creator, something, someone that put this into motion that isn't me. And more importantly, someone that put this into motion that I share an identity with. It's part of my family. Otherwise, I couldn't recognize this, which, if we can observe any other life form, is not going to be moved by beauty. It's only human beings hmm. that, that are moved so deeply by art, be That's it visual or architectural. Yeah, yeah. And so as we look at the changes in architecture, and we can very, very vividly hear, shall we say, those changes in music that parallel that architecture, these are changes that began first and foremost with the realization that we have an image and likeness to God, which Pythagoras realized using pure reason. He's out of the revelation picture, right? There's no mm-hmm. burning bushes right, and, sure, sure. and Ten Commandments. And the burning triangle. There's no burning triangle, right. The right there, in fact, there was a whole religion <laughs> called the Pythagoreans that existed for 600 sure, sure, years yeah, and they yeah. were martyred in the first century. Um, but this was, a, this was a deep discovery. And Catholicism is the marriage, if you will, of revelation up to this point. You know, we're living in the seventh covenant. Mm-hmm. And it's this marriage of the revelation of scripture and that which is revealed by revealed truth and that which is discovered by raw human reason. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, very Greek, so to speak. And this is yeah. what this, this, you know, not to deviate too much, but this is what brought about the, 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 one of the biggest uproars in Christianity, which would be the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was celebrated only this last weekend, as I uh, took note of, um, by all our Protestant, our, our fallen away yeah, yeah. brothers and sisters, um, as, as the church calls them. So the, you know, this upheaval came about because one man, in this case Luther, declared that the church was far too Greek and mm-hmm. challenged the church because how dare you try to rationalize one's faith? It was given to you. It's in scripture. Shut up. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and just take it in. So in with, throughout Western history, throughout this, this culture that was influenced by Christianity in architecture, this marriage, if you will, and this paralleling between the visual arts and the musical arts was inspired. And I go so far as to say it was inspired musically. It is, it is the discovery of harmony. It is the discovery of music, if you will, that then a century later led to a Euclid that then put this into shape, put this into dimension. Mm. which is the very inspiration of architecture itself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is painting kind of a broad picture, but it's, sure, it's pointing yeah. to the very origins, if you will, yeah. the, the movement of the human heart, the movement of the human spirit sure. that inspired, and that it continually is reflected in these various periods that you're talking about yeah. throughout Western history that we can observe to this day, especially yeah. in architecture. So can you go right at the, the change um, pre and post polyphony? Talk about just pre and post polyphony. Yeah. The Gregorian chant, which would be pre-polyphony, mm, right? Pre-polyphony. And I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming our audience knows what era. polyphony means, right? <laughs> What's that? Oh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's define polyphony. Yeah. Polyphony. Oh, what is polyphony? You should be playing a sample behind this. Many what should be doing. This will be a point where we pause. Yes. So if you, if you go into academia, uh, um, uh, you, you'll get some very boring definitions of polyphony uh, along the lines of, and again, I paraphrase, so no one attack me on this. Mm-hmm. That polyphony is is several melodic voices 
And please don't think too hard on that. As I'm thinking about a fortune cookie, it'll, you'll, you'll wonder why you're looking at it. Um, several melodic voices moving in sync with each other, and, and that doesn't really define polyphony. Okay. Um, just as an aside, though, that is how academia seems to define it on a basic level, unless you go specialize mm-hmm. and hopefully get something better. The, you know, if you hear, really the best way to define polyphony is to go hear it and experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so polyphony, but what I will say is this, polyphony is the music of the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Renaissance era, that is polyphony. The music of polyphony, the art of polyphony is the whole Renaissance, especially the high Renaissance. It, it peaks and it's some, for anyone that hasn't heard it and goes hopefully after this podcast and hears it, or anyone who has heard it, it's one of it's some of the most mesmerizing music available. And yeah. what what I will add is that there is this ex, ex, this incredible, insatiable wealth mm. of that music. People don't realize it is a bigger genre than all of the genres following put together. Mm. Mm. Wow! Uh, Why we, is that? Well. That, that, that I'll address by going quickly to the pre-polyphony okay. and what inspired that. The miracle of Christianity, because the ancient world was very aware of this, of this deep spiritual meaning yeah. behind this discovery of harmony. Yeah. And I can't stress that enough. To discover harmony is to, is to discover that we are human. Meaning is to discover that our very being has a simultaneously material and immaterial existence. And all the philosophy majors will start to, you know, pick that apart. And I I leave that to them to do. (laughs) However, this immaterial and material existence within one being simultaneously, it's it's very hard for us to think about that, leads us to a certain realization. Here's a way in which we can sense that. We can sense that by looking at our individuality and by really taking that in as we sit here. And as I'm looking at Christopher across the table, I'm looking at the only Christopher that's ever existed and that ever will exist. And the more you contemplate the fact that you're the only one that's, you're the only, I'm the only Samuel that's ever been around. The more we look at that, the more, you know, I'm in awe when -hmm. I think of that. When I think about how decidedly unique each individual is yeah and it's a great miracle and it's a miracle that that i i will say our modern world is very obsessed with and is trying to figure out and trying to play with all the time mm-hmm. is the thing that causes all kinds of things good bad or indifferent um but then coming back to what christianity does with that christianity is an exposition of that individuality and so theology in the catholic sense of the word is an exposition of the of our humanity it's not an add-on it's not a i'm human and then b here's a jesus telling me what i am it is a revelation of who we actually are. And this revelation then is, is expounded upon in harmony. Mm. And so if you think about the fact that in the ancient world, there was this discovery of what music then reveals about our identity. Well, then that, that, that on a technical level, when they're writing the chant, they're not just feeling around blindly. They're being legitimately inspired and seeing what is truly there. In the, and I can't stress this enough, in the physiological material itself, something they've inherited, something they're much more closely connected with. When you hear chant, you, you'll hear something that will either be very inspiring or be the most boring thing in the face of the earth. So you're saying, if I, if I can jump in for a second, that sure. what, what Christianity acknowledges is that there are, there are two things that are simultaneously individual. They have one and another, but they're also a single thing. And it's holding these two ideas in tension. It's like the, the sort of hypostasis of Christ. You have like two natures in one person and this before wasn't a thing that existed and this new thing that Christianity 
sort of owns is what enables a new sort of music? So it's it's difficult to get theological because because this is it would take a lot of exposition to get to to that level. However, what what you're saying is true, but when Christ is present and Christianity is present, is revealing what things are from the beginning, mm. right? And you and you'll see this in Scripture uh, when when the Pharisees are challenging Christ and asking. If we, if we look at the gospel, and I can't quote because I'm a good Catholic and don't read scripture, <laughs> but in mass you'll hear this eventually. The part of the gospel where the, where the Pharisees are challenging Jesus and asking him which man this woman would be married to where she married seven times, right? And then they all die and go to heaven. Well, who's she married to in heaven? Right. And he says, in the beginning it was not so. And, and really, really take that in. And, and as, I, as I speak on this level, in this the beginning is something it was that... Not so. He was in, annulled seven times. In the beginning, it was not so. In the moment right, of right. our existence, when God breathed into our face and we came to be, right? And we think about the first man for a moment. It, it, it was not so in the beginning. And so he's taking us back to what we were created to be. And this is prior to the fall. Christianity is, is as close as it gets to heaven on earth. The problem with Christianity, and I'm, I'm quoting um, a, a wonderful gentleman who I'm, who I'm dear friends with, uh, I'm delighted to refer to as my friend, uh, Christopher West, who's a theologian on the theology of the body. Mm-hmm. And one thing he said that I, I find very relevant here is that cr- the problem with Christianity is not that it's unbelievable, it's that it's just too good to believe. Mm. P- it's so good people go, there's just no way it's that great. There's no way this is that awesome. There's no way everything I've been feeling and wanting is revealing to me a sense of who I am. And Christianity speaks to that. Mm. And so if we go to the chant, remember first and foremost that chant is being performed in a modern setting. And it's difficult to do that. It's difficult to encompass the aesthetic that is being uh, spoken to by chant by that art form. Mm. In a modern world where the things that chant is encompassing, is are, they're not recognized culturally. But they're felt deeply by many, and there are many that hear chant, and they're deeply, they're deeply uh, moved by it. And yeah, this, and yeah. Parish Holy Rosary, we're all from. It's it's something that's responded to very, very, uh, very uh, positively. So this is all pre-polyphony, by the way. And you're asking about polyphony, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll very quickly try to sum this up. In in the case of chant, you have for the first time in history a the, the fact that not only are we human not only is there a creator with which we are related but that that creator is enfleshed which means that creator is simultaneously human Please. Uh, three quick questions yes um who's the michael jordan of musicians who's the michael alive jordan? or dead who's the michael jordan of musicians you're asking me a very obnoxious question. Yes. <laughs> you hear how I'm very hesitant to even answer because I'm not even sure I know the yep. Michael Jordan. Um, uh, so M- Michael Jordan is a celebrity, yes? Sure. I know who Michael Jordan is. I'm just clarifying. <laughs> okay. um, the, the Michael Jordan of musicians is whoever is promoted to be the Michael Jordan of musicians. Uh, the music world has become very superfluous. Mm. I, don't, I don't mind saying that. That's whoever the rock stars of music are. And mm. I speak about the classical world as well as the rock and roll world. Yeah. Even, in fact, to be honest, even more of the classical world. The classical world has become very superfluous. It's become very petty. It's the reason classical music does not take hold culturally the way mm. it used to. That's The way answer. it really, really was lived. 
Now it really is a thing that has to be promoted. It has to be Michael Jordan to be yeah. sold. Interesting. So there are some Michael Jordans out there, and I, I get asked all the time about these various Michael Jordans, which who I will not name because I don't need to give them more credit than is due. But I get asked about, oh, what do you think of this person who's you know a violinist on YouTube, or these people who are cellists mm-hmm. on YouTube? Even as I say this, people know who I'm talking the about. The guy plays a cello for the homeless person and gets like no. Right, right, and then, and, yeah. and then and then there's there's YouTube, but then there's also American Idol, and there's also um, the Joshua Bells of the world, who would be an example of a Michael Jordan, mm. yeah. uh, the Yo Yo Ma's of the world, who everybody knows, and they're mm. marketed. You can find them in Walmart. Sure, right. Yeah. Um, that doesn't necessarily speak to their virtuosity as musicians. It just means they're really promoted. It doesn't mean they're right. untalented. They made it on Oprah, and that's how they did. They it. made it on Oprah, and that's how they did. Well, right. Probably I mean, great. and, and they're, they're, they, these are very talented individuals, um, but but music is more than uh, than than an acrobatic show. Mm. And what has happened in the classical world, and I really mean in specifically the classical world, mm-hmm. in, in rock and roll, there's a genuine, there's a genuineness there. Mm-hmm. You can find silly things. I mean, you know, if we're going to compare, for example, a, a, the genuineness of Bruce Springsteen's raw material mm-hmm. to, uh, to um, oh, what's, what's that band's name? Um, Nickelback, for example. You're going to see someone who's being significantly, in my opinion, more genuine in his presence. The Nickelback is just right. You got it. Right. I'm going to get myself in trouble. But in, but in the classical world, it's become almost almost um, aggressively um, kind of like wallpaper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when you ask, the, uh, it's a great, it's an awesome question that you're asking about the Michael Jordans because it's, it's kind of demonstrating that in the specifically the classical world, and, and this is going to encompass in many ways, um, th- there is no rock star polyphonists out there. Mm. There are no rock star chantists out there. That would be rather funny. There are some there are some choirs that are really kind of making it, and they're really well known within people who love sacred yeah. music. Right. And and even then, uh, especially in polyphony and chant, it's done so little that those who even do it remotely right. well is it's it's I mean they're immediately uh, sold. So there's a big market that that, mm. that that you have to just bear in mind is present yeah. amongst the classical world. Anyway, th- th- it's an awesome question. Yeah. So do you have any opinions about that question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do a quick follow-up. Uh, so that was about Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan musicians. Who is your favorite non-liturgical, like, lowbrow band? Oh, wow. Um, so lowbrow I, meaning, like, sure, things I, that aren't I, in your wheelhouse. I can, you completely, have I know, I, I can answer that question immediately. I have had the great pleasure to discover, goodness, only um, only last January, that I'm a Bon Jovi fan. Bon like, big Jovi. Time. And it's not it's not even by choice. It's just I, I hear it and go, oh, uh, my, my whole self is a Bon Jovi fan. Um, every song Good I've ever stuff. liked that I, I never... Shaking. Yeah, yeah. It. It's just, I really honestly, um, uh, m- most, almost... I've not heard a single song they've done I don't like. I, I don't hmm. intimately really enjoy. And I'm saying this knowing where that particular band has been deeply genuine, deeply soulful, if you yeah. can put it this way. Yeah, yeah. And as well as kind of you can see they're trying to make an album. Mm-hmm. I mean, and really and honestly, I enjoy the whole thing. It's, it's really yeah. crazy. I really enjoy it. Yeah. So that would be my, my, my absolute top. I've got several others, but that would be my first and foremost. Sure. Cool. You know, music has an incredible effect on people. It, it can have, especially certain kinds of music, just really very similar to what you were talking about earlier, just drills down to your soul, you know, connects with you on a level that you didn't think was even possible. And it's amazing how a song will just do that, you know. And it's not something that you even have to prepare for. It just overtakes you, and it's incredible. But... I wanted to add a, another layer to that, which is just, you know, we grew up listening to music, 
hopefully, right? I mean, if we're blessed, we, we listen to a variety of music in our life. And I've always been interested in the connection of music and memory. I have so many experiences of growing up listening to certain songs that, you know, you loved for a certain period of time. You grow up, you move on, and then you'll come across the same song for some reason. Maybe you, you know, it was randomly played on your playlist for whatever reason. And instantly you're transported back to that memory. And sometimes it's a very happy memory and you can almost feel the emotion that you felt at that time. But sometimes it could even be a sad memory. It can be something that that actually makes you quite uneasy or that really brings you down. And so I guess I was wondering, you know, what experiences have you had or, or what do you think of that idea that memory and music are deeply connected and strongly connected? You're the second person that's ever brought this up. Um, so specifically, especially when it comes to memory and music. The first person that brought this up was a is a dear friend of mine and my family's, and he is a mechanic in Conroe. Um, is as far from intellectual as you could get. He knows cars, and that is all he knows. He's an awesome, awesome person. For all of you mechanics listening, we love you. <laughs> we love you so much. Oh, oh, I mean, I, I, I will put in a recommendation for this guy. He's the most honest, and he's a Catholic himself, a very, a very devout one, um, amazing gentleman. Um, and yes, he's an honest mechanic, so hit me up if you guys want to know. <laughs> um, I recommend him. I, I would trust him with my kids, and I really, really sincerely mean that. He's that dear of a friend. And he told me one time, I was talking to him about music, and I was getting all heady and into my, you know, into things that I love. And he says, in, his, in, his, in the way that he would say, well, I don't know anything about that. All I know is that when I hear a song that I heard as a as a teenager or as a young person it takes me all the way back to that very mm-hmm. moment and i remember hearing him say that and as you asked this question this is something this is something about which i can speak about in some ways the least uh, directly because i experience this every day i mean i i am fortunate enough to say that i experience this every day i live in southwest houston i have to commute to downtown that means i have to travel up 59 Every freaking day. Pardon me for saying so that. So when you die, you're going straight to heaven. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I do all my purgatory from 7 a.m. to now. 8. Yeah. Taking an hour to travel, what should take 20 minutes. Yeah, it's a saint maker. That's what the highways are. That's exactly it's it, yes. federal project. Yeah, yeah well, and, and avoiding the very thing that would make us saints in about 3.8 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, as I'm, as I'm, you know, I'm, my back is feeling it just talking about it. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure people listening can relate. Uh, but I, I listen to music all the time, uh, usually first thing in the morning. I'm a morning person, so my mind is on fire in the morning. So if, as you're hearing this broadcast, this is this is quite late at night, and I'm, you know. But in the morning, I'm, I'm on fire, and I'm listening to this music. And when I listen to music, I mean I'm turning on the radio and I'm hearing whatever is being broadcast, to be bon honest. R- yeah. More than often, I'm, I'm hearing whatever the secular world is putting out. Sure. And, I mean, more often than not, I mean, if, oh goodness, four times out of, out of a five-day week, out of a five-day work week, so to speak, I mean, I am so intimately moved. I can hardly stand it. It's just too much for one morning. My goodness, we can't start the day like this. Yeah. The rest of the day is going to be boring. Um, and I understand exactly what you mean. I mean, it, it, when I hear a song that moved me at 14 years old, it takes me back so intimately, uh, more than almost anything else can, maybe with the exception of smell. 
But when right. I hear those sounds and I'm hearing those songs, I mean, I go back to all the pain, all the joy, all the awesomeness, all, all, all the loneliness. I mean, it's all right there. And we live for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as a culture today here in the USA, we live for that stuff. Human beings live for that. We can't get enough of it. I, I, I would like to draw attention to two things. The first thing being that in the ancient world, there was an argument posited by Plato in which he is trying to, or Socrates rather, I should be more specific, but Socrates is beginning to describe the proof that we have a soul. And in, the, in this particular dialogue, the Phaedo, he begins to describe one of his various arguments to describe the human soul. He begins to describe this thing called memory. And he begins to suggest that we have a memory that transcends our existence here, that we existed prior to now, and that we're and that as we go through life and we recognize things that exist in the world, we're remembering what we knew. Now, as Catholics, we know, of course, that that would be incorrect, and that we don't have, you know, we weren't, we're not Mormon, right? We're, we don't, we're not floating around in the right. sky and then we take on bodies. Uh, however, what what I, I find fascinating by that particular argument is that he speaks to this transcendence of what we sense. Mm. As human beings, we sense all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We sense all this, uh, and in music, my goodness, is so sensory. I mean, and it's amazing, I mean, because it's so obvious and we take it for granted, but just point this out, it is so sensory, it is so raw, and and uh, so much of our popular music, so much of what's in popular culture speaks to that. What's What's so raw? Music, oh, yeah. uh, sounds, um, oh, it's such a raw pop. thing. Uh, popular music is very raw, yes. But but sounds themselves, I mean, it's so intimate. Yeah. Uh, sounds and things that move you are so intimate. And so when you go back to that memory thing, and that's where I'd like to go to my second point, and the second point is that the, the songs that you hear, and I really mean any song you know, uh, un- unless you are familiar with ancient music of the East, anything that you know, um, is from has been inherited harmonically has been inherited compositionally from this moment and that is the moment that takes us all the way back to chant uh, i'll just point out chant inspired compositionally polyphony abach beethoven and a mozart who himself said that he would give up all the music he ever wrote to have composed the chant mm-hmm. mozart to this day is held as one of the most prolific one of the most ingenious composers that ever lived. To this mm-hmm. day, he still recognizes such. Yeah. We're talking about the most recognized human being in human history, in the, in the history of music, recognized as one of the greatest composers of musical history, giving up everything he ever wrote to have written the Gregorian chant. Mm. And chants are way, way less complex, it seems, than his... So it would seem. His pieces. So yeah. it would seem. They're not, but so it would seem. Uh, if, if I could put it this way, Mozart is merely expounding on what chant is talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, in the same way that when we look at Scripture and we look at Christ speaking, speaking parables, he's not speaking in parables because, you know, we're too stupid to get it. Right. But you have a church that continues to expound and expound at every Mass, at every Gospel, on the parables of Christ. Yeah. And it's the same way with chant. It, it may sound simple, and yet what it posits is so incredibly com- complex and is unpacked to the present day. And so when you hear the songs that you know, you're hearing music, you're hearing a harmony, you're hearing a 12-bar blues riff, for heaven's sakes. You're, hearing, you're yeah. hearing these chords, these four chords that we're so familiar with um, that we know in pop culture that we have inherited 
that Bono has inherited, that Springsteen has inherited, that a Presley has inherited. All these artists have inherited these sounds that they're just feeling out. They're not thinking this out per se. Right, right, they're right. feeling out stuff and they're putting their emotions into that. And three million people are losing their mind, right? Mm-hmm. Coldplay comes on and an audience of three million you know, people are just going berserk yeah. because they are sensing not just Coldplay, but what Coldplay is actually speaking to. In fact, they're not really sensing Coldplay at all as individuals. They're sensing what Coldplay is evoking. And what they're evoking, they have inherited from what began as a recognition of our human identity in the in in the in the new creation, what is revealed by the gospel? Wow! Yeah. Hmm. Do you think that's? Do you? um, I'm going to put on my contrarian hat for a moment. Do you think that's really true? That like Coldplay is actually just like calling forth something from the past, or that Coldplay couldn't function otherwise. There's a comedian uh, uh, who's who's actually a great dude. So I'll I'll mention his name. Um, uh, Owen Benjamin. Uh-huh. Fantastic guy, and he uh, he has a he's funny in his own way. Um, he's also very irreverent, but he's a comedian. So he uh, he talks about how Coldplay. You know, every song they've ever made is based on four chords. <laughs> of course, you know this is the case for almost any level of pop music. If I were to play those out for you on the piano, and, and really we probably should on this podcast, you know, if I were to play those out, you'd recognize them. You know, we all know these sounds. Sure, that's every pop song known to man. Those sounds don't happen prior to the incarnation. They don't happen. What do you mean? Expand on that a little bit. Those sounds would not have been assimilated. Those harmonies that I just asserted would not be assimilated in that way. Why? Because first and foremost... I mean, it's super interesting. That's why I'm asking. Oh, it is. No, it's fascinating. It's 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 every reason to, to do music, in my opinion. I mean, it's every reason to take this stuff in. It's every reason to have this conversation that we're having. When you're dealing with music, just always remember you're dealing with the medium of the material sound. Mm-hmm. Sound, just to get very technical and boring, but it's something we're very familiar with. Sound is energy going through the air. You have this medium of the air, and you have energy traveling through that air and making waves. And my ear is hearing those sound waves and is either taking delight or very much not, right? Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with sound, you are dealing with waves. Waves exist in ratio that's a big word simply meaning they exist in proportion to each other so i've got a wave moving at a certain rate and then another wave moves at you know twice that speed that's going to make a sound right Mm -hmm. that particular sound i just mentioned a wave and then a wave twice that speed that makes an octave Mm -hmm. Uh, men and women's voices their very timbre exists in octaves Mm. so uh and this and this goes so on and so forth so that I like that you used a, you slipped a really technically um, important I did. term there. Yes, timbre. yes. Can you define timbre for the good people? I, I learned about timbre that just just yeah. meaning you know when I speak and I'm speaking as a man. If a woman mm-hmm. speaks, she's going to speak as a woman. I can't really do it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I say if I say and try this in any room. I mean, my goodness, if I say sing ah children whose voices children boys whose voices haven't developed yet and women they'll sing lit, they'll sing what would sound in my voice as and and we hear that so intimately we hardly even think of it as an octave we just go we're all singing ah right and so when we sing congregationally for example at church the women are all singing an octave higher but we don't think of it as that because it's so intimately connected mm-hmm. christianity by the way sees great meaning in that which is which is how harmony even comes to be and that and that really is my point suddenly the christian mind is looking at what is physiologically there that the ancient world was very rife with but they're looking at what is physiologically very present and what they were dealing with. And they're seeing God revealing himself and what he has made. And so suddenly the very fact and that 
men and women speak in octaves, for example, hmm. that we that we speak differently. In the same way that the very fact that men and women are different in all the various ways they're different, it reveals what our very nature is and is and is expressed theologically. And this is the essence of Christianity. Now, this is the thing that we've really come out of touch with, by the way, culturally, if I may say so, which is why, again, we're having this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to add one more layer to my question about memory and simply talk about th- there's a there's there seems to be now a lot of research coming out about architecture and memory and the connection there that architecture itself may be influencing or actually shaping our memory that when you try to remember something you think spatially about it you you kind of first situate yourself in an actual space when you try to remember where you left your keys or where, <laughs> you know, when you think about hmm. whatever, your first kiss or yeah, when yeah, you yeah. think about yes, the first time yes. you met your wife, you first remember where you were, the yes. room you were in, yes. if it was day or night. Mm. So there is a very direct correlation between space and memory. That's, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so glad you brought and that so up. So if we add then that extra layer of music and memory. Yes. I'm thinking specifically of certain memories I have of singing just incredibly beautiful music. I'm thinking of the Tantum Mergo mm-hmm. specifically. That give me gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. But I remember where I was and I remember just being so deeply moved. And so then I just think about that the mass in a way is the convergence of those two things mm-hmm. of a spatial experience yes. because you're in a church, you're in a space, but then the music and then obviously the, just the visual beauty mm. of the mass. Yes. And how so many people miss out on having rich experiences that then shape their memory and therefore shape their faith. That if we wonder why there are so many people that are leaving the church and why there are so many people that don't have faith, could it be that they're just not experiencing these rich memories and these rich kind of deep experiences that we need in order to have faith. Mm. That's, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I, I'm just, it's just such an awesome uh, thing that you're bringing up. I so often find, so often in my experience thus far, more commonality with those who don't view themselves as of the faith than those who would claim to be of of my faith, and it's it's, it's a strange it's a strange thing in, in so many ways. Um, and this is by no means to demean anything or put things against others. Saint Augustine posits something that that could be very controversial for our culture, especially in Christianity, and that is that one is less lost in one's passions or in one's searching mm. than one is in one's than one is when one has lost his passion. When you talk about this memory and you talk about these intimate and awesome moments and these spatial moments, which which is so true. I mean, my goodness, I, I can remember. I live, I've lived in Houston my whole life. Mm-hmm. So when I drive around Houston, I remember everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I, see, I see this bar or that church or that park or that bench. My God, that bench. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember everything. It tugs at my heart. And... This spatial awareness, this sensory awareness that is also so present in music, we as human beings, the state of being human, 
is to long for the infinite. It is not enough to have that one awesome meal, that one awesome drink, that one awesome moment in a relationship, so to speak. Um, that one, you know, I'm speaking, I'm a married man with children, so so I can get very technical and say, you know, I mean, we long for the infinite uh, pleasure response, if I can be very blunt. It's not enough. We're right. insatiable as human beings. Right. The state of being human is to is to understand what that reveals. The fact that we are insatiable. In long story short, when we are taken back to those memories, keep in mind that if we're in the image and likeness of God, we're in the image and likeness of the one who transcends space and time. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting because you're talking about the fact that we are drawn to these memories and we're drawn to this space and we're drawn to this time. Uh, you, we can probably all go back to that moment when we hear music. In fact, specifically in the moments you're describing, when we hear music and it takes us back, mm-hmm. you, you're not aware of the clock at that right. moment. Yeah. Uh, you're completely unaware yeah. of, right. of right, right, right. I mean, it's the reason I can get through my commute, for example, again. I mean, you're totally unaware, so to speak. You're just not time. thinking yeah. about yeah. minutes. If a song is seven and a half minutes, you're just not thinking of that. Yeah. You're, you, you are absorbed in that moment. You, as a human being, are taken, in a sense, outside of space and time. And I don't right. mean this in a new agey kind of weird way. Yeah. I mean that that reality, that, that experience is only possible because you are coming into contact with, with what makes you human, which is your image mm-hmm. and likeness to God. And so spatially and orally and sen- sensorily, if that's a word, uh, and even in the visual mm-hmm. arts... You're always coming back, and you're coming back to those memories. Those memories, if I may say so, it's not so much about those memories as they happened in time, but what those memories evoked, what those mm-hmm. mem- where those memories took you, where, they, yeah. where the experience that you had, which is what you're remembering, where that took you. Art opens us up to what we truly are and what we're made to be. Heaven, right? Heaven. Absolutely. It's a foretaste of heaven. It's a, it is a absolute foretaste of heaven. It's, and the mass is meant to be just drenched in that. That's what that's it right. is. Yeah. You know, there's everything you guys are saying is um, it's gold for the first thing. It's amazing. Um, the, the thing I keep on thinking about as you are both talking about memory and about um, music, having this ability that in some ways um, happens to you, whether or not you want it to happen. Like if you hear a song or you, like you said, you smell something it takes you back you can't actually wrestle with that and like decide to have it remind you you hear it and it just reminds you right so in a way music seems to have a kind of privileged place in the role of um, the liturgy because what it does is it is in some way the ultimate unforgetting right like the the sort of technical translation of the of the um, the, the word in mass is um, is the Greek anamnesis right an anamnesis, and if, if amnesia is a forgetting, then an unforgetting is the act of remembering. It's the, um, you know, the ritual sacrifice, right? So mm-hmm. when you when you go and we celebrate the sacrifice of Christ, it is in some way an unforgetting. And if music has the ability to remind you of these things and That's right. you know bring this thing present to you, whether or not you are in an emotional state to do it, whether you had a bad day, whether or not you've, you know, you're in a point where intellectually you can actually apprehend what's going on, it doesn't matter. It's like yeah. in a way, music is one of the like the key vehicles by which we can be brought back to that place. Yes, and it's it's a. Uh, I had never really thought about it in those terms before, but the um, the anamnetic b- 
beginning of mass and like music being something that just sort of happens to you and brings you. It's like you're yeah. you're just sort of like going for a ride, whether yes. you want to go there or not. It just sort of ushers you into this new place. Yes, it's sort and of amazing. And I think for a lot of people, the concept of heaven is very foreign because obviously we live in a temporal space and mm-hmm. time. But when you have these these experiences that truly, like you said, transcend time. I mean, I, I'm thinking of sitting around a fire with friends or listening to a certain piece of music. Those are the moments when I can imagine heaven because in a way I'm getting a a real foretaste of it. And I think the mass is supposed to be that. Yes. And so it's, I see the mass as kind of the convergence of the best of humanity, you know, and, and obviously more than that, it's the convergence of God meeting man in the most real way that you can on this side of mm-hmm. heaven, you know, it's, it's, it's really that, that foretaste of heaven. And the more that we can experience those moments, the easier it is to believe in God in a way, you know, it's totally, it's, it's a, it's a comfort that you receive that is unlike anything. And when it's exists. not, it's like, ever since we've been starting this podcast, we've been recording episodes, nothing's published yet, but by the time you're listening to this, it will be published. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, is sort of trans transposing time and space. Now, when I sit in mass and the thing you're describing to me and I hear, I understand intellectually and I know to be true, when that doesn't align with my subjective experience of mass, it it burns my toast, man. <laughs> right. I know because it's like that's what's yeah. supposed to happen. But well, sometimes I don't feel that way. Yes. Yeah. What what ends up happening is what you're asking when, when you don't have beautiful liturgies, what you're asking of people is to do a lot of mental gymnastics. Sure. You're yes. asking them to show up to mass. And then intellectually bring <laughs> forth what the, what the mass itself, what they're seeing is not giving them. Mm. Right. And, and that's a lot to ask of people Sunday after Sunday. To never give them just such a powerful, beautiful experience that they walk away just saying, like, I've been fed in every way that it means to be human. You know? Yes. Right. And I feel like that's what we're called to do, you know. In, in our in our mutual work here, you know, you in music and us in architecture, like all of that has to converge to create these experiences that are unforgettable for people. Yes. Mm-hmm. One one other layer I wanted to just quickly add is back to memory, music, architecture, all kind of converging. the The idea of identity, uh, how some of these songs, um, thinking of of the Salva Regina, for example, when I sing the Salva Regina, it's another song where I get goosebumps, <laughs> but it's a song where I feel connected to the church throughout time. Mm-hmm. So again, it's it's kind of like transcending time because I can almost feel that the entire church is with me in that room, singing it together, and we are just spanning the entirety of time. I mean, it's it's a it's a song that I feel like really summarizes what it means to be Catholic more than any dissertation or any paper could ever accomplish. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and what you bring up is wonderful because you're singing something that has been sung for, oh, I mean, at least 1500 years. Mm-hmm. You're singing yeah. the same, you're, you're positing the same harmonic truth that has been asserted for centuries and centuries and centuries. Yeah. So I, absolutely. I mean, it's profound. It's yeah, incredible. There's, there's not much else like that. Yeah. And it's, it's just their experiences that, that again, just remind you of heaven and connect you to a faith that does transcend time. Yes. And I think so many times it's so easy to get caught up in, you know, you're just, it's just <laughs> another Sunday. Yeah. Sure. But, um, you know, 
I don't know. It's just it, it, it seems like that needs to be something that is more common, that yes. more people experience. It shouldn't be the exception to the rule. It should be more of the rule. Certainly. Cool. I think that's a great place to stop. All right. Thanks, Samuel. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's an yeah. honor. Uh, so for people who are listening and who are interested in finding you elsewhere, where can they connect with you online or offline or anywhere in the Houston area? Sure. We have a very messy website mm-hmm. that's all over the place called musicahumanahouston.com. Again, musicahumanahouston.com. And we're in the midst of cleaning that up. And uh, continuing to to give to to others and to people, everything we've been talking about, uh, particularly in my field, we have been I've been giving uh, talks at different parishes in Houston in the mm-hmm. diocese, uh, s- probably since 2016. So it's been about mm-hmm. a couple of years now. Are you available for talks around the United States? Absolutely. Um, just just call me up. Call you. Yeah, my my contact is on the website. Uh, Great. Give me a call. I mean, this is this is what I I live for. This stuff. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming and thanks for sharing. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. The best way to enjoy the podcast is to pull up the accompanying blog post for the episode at beautyevernew.com. There you will find show notes, guest information, helpful visual aids, and more. To continue the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know how you're experiencing beauty in your churches and community.